Hey, we are so glad that you are here this morning, no matter what it is that you might be wearing. And we hope that you have already been uplifted by the time that uh, you have spent here at East Brainerd. Don't forget we have some classes that are going to be going on immediately when we finish up in here this morning. They're going to be meeting around different locations of our campus. We encourage you to go and be a part of one of those and be able to not only enjoy more fellowship, but also be able to dig deeper in the study of of God's Word. And just a reminder, in two weeks, Watts Sunday, if you're new to us here at East Brainerd, Watts Sunday stands for We Are the Sermon. And that is a Sunday where we come together, uh, meet in here at 9 o'clock at usual time, so to speak, and we uh, share communion with one another. Uh, But there is no sermon or anything like that. Instead, we all show up uh, in our jeans or our work clothes or uh, whatever we don't mind getting dirty because then we leave and we go out throughout the Chattanooga community and uh, perform different acts of service. That's the projects that were being talked about that Sean mentioned, that, that we still need some volunteers to be leaders of these projects. And you can find out more about that in your Bible classes, also online. But it's a great opportunity for us just at, to come together as one body on one day at one time and to go out and to serve uh, this community. Then we come back together uh, that evening, uh, share a meal with one another, uh, see video and pictures of the different things that took place, pray about the individuals that we met and the places where we were working. And so it's a, it's a wonderful day and serves as a reminder of the life that we should be living all the time. And so I hope that you'll be able to come and be a part of that. That's in two weeks. And if that's not something you've participated in in the past, I hope that you will think about doing that this year. We began last week with this idea, who we are. It's a new series, just a few weeks as we are doing this. And we are doing this in order to be able to understand better our own individual identities. We want to be able to understand who we are because I don't know about you, but I'm excited about being a part of the East Brainerd Church of Christ. I'm excited about the relationship that I have with you and because of what God is doing in this place and through those who say, you know what, I'm a part of this congregation. I'm excited about that and I want to be able to to talk to more people about that. And I hope that you feel similarly. But when people ask, well, who who are the East Branch Church of Christ? What is this group all about? What is it that you tell them? What kind of conversations do you have? And so we're going through this quick study in order to kind of be able to give ourselves uh, some cliff notes, so to speak, on how to talk about who we are as a congregation. Last week, we looked more at our history, kind of where we have come from. And one of the main things that we tried to hammer home is the idea that our history has shaped our present identity. And maybe as we were going through that particular study, there were things that we talked about that were new to you that you had not um, heard before, things that uh, maybe surprised you, or maybe it was just things that uh, you were familiar with and it was just a review of some type. Uh, No matter what, I hope that you have had the opportunity to perhaps uh, go online, especially if you were not here last week. We want to encourage you to do that, to go online and to either listen to the sermon or to be able to pull it up on YouTube. And you can find all of that on our website at East Brainerd Church of Christ 
Uh, And I appreciate all the different comments and the different uh, messages that were sent uh, concerning last week's uh, lesson and for the subject matter and for us as a congregation going, going through this. Our history has shaped our present identity. And so this is kind of where we left things last week with, with who we are. And so just as a quick review, our history is that of a unity movement born from Reformed Enlightenment Christians on the American frontier in the early 1800s. We talked about Barton W. Stone. We talked about Alexander Campbell, the role that they had. We talked about uh, the role that the Reformation played. Did not get so much into the Enlightenment period that was going on all over the world and the impact that had on their thinking, but but they were uh, very much influenced by what was going on in the world at that particular time. And their commitment to Christian unity led them to urge Christians of every denominational stripe to walk away from creeds and religious hierarchies, denominations of all kinds of stripes, and to join together. And they said they wanted Scripture to stand as their only standard. And they desired to pattern themselves after first century Christianity. This was their goal. And it was a call that began to find hearers. And people began to respond to this message and say, you know what, this is a great idea. Why don't we just be Christians instead of some type of hyphenated Christians where I have to explain to people if I am Methodist or Baptist or Catholic or, or, or whatever. Well, over time, what began as this unity movement evolved into a denominational structure itself. You might remember that we showed this picture last week, a box, and we talked about how that every religious group has a box, and in that box is its theology and practice. There's a reason why we as the East Brainer Church of Christ look different in some ways than Concord Baptist does right down the street, because they have their box, and their Baptist box looks different from our Church of Christ box. Well, by the 1930s and 1940s, this box that you see there became pretty well solidified in the theology and practice of those who called themselves the churches of Christ. And that's why if you grew up in churches of Christ, you could go and find one, whether it be in Alabama or Florida, Mississippi, Georgia, anywhere around the southeast, especially if you were traveling on vacation, you could go and you could find a church of Christ and walk in and and many of the things that you saw taking place for during a worship time would be very familiar to you. Things that you would read about in their bulletin, different activities that they were participating in, very similar to things maybe that were going on in this church of Christ that you grew up in back in whatever town that you were from. And it was a very comfortable feeling because we knew what we were getting, especially whenever we saw the sign, because that designated one of our churches. It was someone who was in our particular box. But how did we get our box? Or how did we decide what was going to be in our box? Because like I said, our box looks different than Concord Baptist's box. Who decided those things? Well, the issues that became identifying marks in the Church of Christ became so not because they are the most prominent or important topics in Scripture necessarily, but because the decisions 
made by our spiritual ancestors in the 19th and 20th centuries based on the way that they looked at and read Scripture. And decisions then were made about what would go into our box and what would be left out of our box. Now, you might remember that we showed, um, we, we showed a, a picture last week on how that there are some things that were in, and then we listed some chapters that um, those particular things that were in our box came from, but then we showed other things that were in those chapters that were not put in our box. And I know some of you have reached out to me this week because of, of that particular slide saying, hey, I would like to see that and, and um, talk about that a little bit. And, and I just want you to understand that I, I presented that in order that you might be able to start gaining understanding and go, oh, okay, so there are some things that we have and there are some things that we do not have, even though they're found in the same places of Scripture. But those were decisions that were made by people who came, who came before us. It was decisions that were made by spiritual ancestors. Not, we didn't talk about necessarily if those were good decisions or bad decisions. We just said this is decisions and this is kind of how it, it came to be. And this is how we came to have our particular box. And so that's kind of where we left things when we talked about our, our history. Again, I encourage you to go and, and look online and to go through the lesson again if you'd like to. We encourage you to do that. And we'll come back to this slide here in just a moment. But what I want to put up here is one that kind of speaks, and I tried to do this in the simplest way that I could, to kind of say, okay, who are we then in reality? And the best way I could come up with it is to say that East Brainerd is a multi-generational, multicultural church that organizes and patterns itself after the theology and practice of the churches of Christ. It kind of makes sense as you read that? Let me walk through this a little bit for you. We are multi-generational. Here at this congregation, we have a membership that approaches just about 1,000 individuals. On any given Sunday, we'll have between uh, 650 and 750 people who are here for worship time. And then some of you, you're here each week. Others of you are here once a month. It just depends. But during a month period, we see here during one of our Sunday assemblies, 900 of our 1,000 or so members which is a great percentage if you think about the numbers of people who are coming and participating and who are growing and who are being encouraged when you're here. Of that membership, about 50% are over the age of 50. 50% then are what? Under the age of 50. Thus, we are a multi-generational church. Now, when you look at those demographics a little bit deeper, you find out that if you just go and say, well, how many of us are over 40? That number really becomes skewed all of a sudden. We're a graying church. We are. And just to show you, if you were under the age of 50, would you stand up right now? If you're under the age of 50. Wow, maybe we're not as graying as you thought. Have a seat, guys. I asked these people to stand because I wanted you to be able to see, and I wanted you to be able to see what oftentimes goes against some of our, our thinking. Because here's the deal. This happens all over. If you are young, you think your church is old. And if you're old, you think your church is young. It all depends on the perspective and the glasses that you use. We are a multi-generational congregation. Now, the truth being 
it would be a lot easier for us if we were just one age group. And there are a lot of churches that are that way. There are places that you can go and worship and there are only people who are over 50. And there are places that you can go and worship and there are only people who are under the age of 50. But we recognize the value that comes from the wisdom of those who are older. We also recognize the importance of the passion that comes from those who are younger. And so we do not seek to grow more older or younger necessarily. We just seek to grow. Understanding that for any group such as ours, in order to be able to sustain itself, you must grow younger in order to be able to sustain. We understand that and that, and that makes sense. But we are a multi-generational congregation. And that is a beautiful thing to hear to be a part of. And I hope that it's something that excites you as you think about the people that make up this church body. We're also a multicultural church, as was mentioned earlier by Derek. Now, this is something that is more challenging for us. In that we have different cultures who are represented here within our church body. We have those who have grown up as the minority population within this country, and you are white, and you are Anglo, and you speak English. And we have those who have grown up as a minority member of this country. And you are black, and you speak English, and you're here a part of our congregation. And we have those who have grown up here who are part of our country who are Latina, who speak English and Spanish that are part of this congregation. And we have those who did not grow up in this country who are Latino and who speak very little English who are part of this congregation. And trying to figure out the way to mold all of those different backgrounds is very challenging. Because remember, on top of the fact that we are a multi-generational church, now we bring in individuals that come from different walks of life, different countries, speak different languages, have different life experiences, and have had different standing and status within our own country. And then we come together as a church, striving to live out the mandate in Christ where there is no male, no female, there's no Jew, there's no Gentile, there's no slave, there's no free, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. That's what we strive to live out here within this body. And I just want to praise God for the fact that we have the opportunity to do that. Because again, there are places you can go and it can be all lily white. And there are places that you can go and it can be all African American and there are places you can go and it can be all Hispanic. But we're trying a different route here. And our doors are open to all colors and backgrounds and languages. And we want more individuals to come to faith in Jesus Christ no matter where they have called home and no matter what their life experience has been. But that presents different issues. And, and so for many um, within our Hispanic community, some of them you might notice sometimes have a um, little earpiece that they wear where uh, we offer a translation that's able to go on during our, our English service here. We also have an Hispanic service that meets here in our auditorium after our worship uh, during our uh, Bible class time. 
Uh, Derek, the last couple of weeks, we've been singing some choruses together in English and in Spanish uh, in a way of trying to uh, show again uh, those that um, maybe are not as comfortable with the English language that, listen, we want to be able for you to worship in your language, and we want to worship with you as well. And it's just a minor thing. That's a little thing. But it just speaks to the greater issue of trying to bring individuals together. But we have made a conscious decision that we are going to be multi-generational, and we are going to be multicultural. And we are going to be a congregation that patterns itself after the theology and practice of the churches of Christ. Now, what does that mean? Now, you saw this slide earlier, and it was one that I showed last week as well. Where our box is that of the churches of Christ. And the things that, many things that we do, whether it be here on Sunday mornings or different ways in which we structure ourselves during the week, different ways in which we go about our teaching, these are things that we do because of the fact that we are in this box. And in 1946, the East Brainerd Congregation was formed, and this was a congregation formed within this cultural context, within this box context. And we are a self-governing congregation. There, there is no board, there is no hierarchy, there is no one outside of this congregation that dictates or tells us how we are to live out our faith and practice. We are autonomous. Now what that means is that we, even though we are in this box, we do not necessarily have to look like every other person in that box because we're autonomous and self-governing. So that means that there are things that we do that might look different from, say, Clear Creek Church of Christ or Eastridge Church of Christ or Udawa Church of Christ or whatever Church of Christ you want to name. There are things that we do that might be very similar. It just depends. But it is our decision. It is not something that comes down from any school or any type of board where we are told this is the congregation that you have to be. We are led by a group of men who are known as our elders. Sometimes you will hear, hear them referred to as being shepherds. Uh, these are words that we get from Scripture as we look to see uh, ways in which the early church, those early Christians were mentored and led. We also have a group of men who serve as our deacons, who serve in this servant role and are responsible for many ministries that we have here. And we have uh, men and women who serve as our ministers in different roles. You'll see underneath that it says we have male and female leadership. That goes against some of the theology and practice, perhaps, that you might see in other churches of Christ. We have females who are on staff. Uh, we have uh, one of our youth ministers, Ms. Nikki Fox, uh, is one of our ministers. Amy DePriest is one of our children's ministers. And we have other women who serve in roles here within our congregation, leading different ministries. Our snack pack ministry that you heard um, announced earlier that we need help with people coming on Thursday at 9 o'clock. That, that's something that was birthed in, in the heart and mind of some of our women here at the congregation and is something that is carried out by uh, our women here in the congregation with the assistance of uh, the deacons who are part of that ministry and others in the congregation. But that is the way in which we go about accomplishing the different ministries that we have. Uh, you'll see that it says uh, baptism by immersion there. Uh, last week, I put up this next slide that said, uh, well, I'm sorry, I forgot which one was coming next. I guess I should look on my phone. Uh, before I put up that next slide, let me ask this question. If you get concerned when things begin to be moved out of your box and changed, 
then you have to ask this question. Can the content of our church's box change and our identity remain intact? And we said, well, the content of our box through the years has changed, uh, whether it be from the fact that uh, we built we had our uh, facility where it's now our children's ministry area. We built on a gymnasium onto that. That was not something that was necessarily in the Churches of Christ box when that was done. And yet that was something that we went and did. There are different ministries that we participate in. They're not necessarily um, normal, so to speak, to our church heritage. There are things like our um, Christmas nativity pageant that we have that's not necessarily in every Churches of Christ box. And so you say, well, can the content of our church's box change and our identity remain intact? Well, that depends on this next slide. Is our identity found in Christ or in our church's denominational box? Where is our identity found? Do we find our identity in Christ saying, yes, I'm a Christian, or do we find our identity in our denominational box by saying, well, I'm a Church of Christ Christian? Is that how we try to explain things? And so we come back to this picture then that I had up here um, earlier uh, with the different things that are kind of present that we are, um, I guess you could say that we are swimming in right now as a congregation. But I wanted to focus just a moment on the idea of baptism by immersion because I put, did put up this slide last week that said Jesus plus blank equals salvation. And I said, what is it that you have to add to Jesus in order for that salvation to be something that is real and experienced? Remember, we walked through some of these ideas together. And then we put up another slide, and I said, does it have to be Jesus and your church name? Or does it have to be Jesus and your worship style, your, your ministry, your Bible translation, your, your baptism, or, or your church clothes? And we looked at a passage of Scripture from Galatians that talked about how that those early Christians struggled with a similar idea of saying, we want Jesus, but we also want to be able to hold on to the Mosaic Law. And we said that to try to hold on to something else besides Jesus, Paul would say, listen, you have fallen from grace if you think these acts of your righteousness somehow endear you to God. And so the question came up this week about how then does baptism apply to our congregation? Because that's something that has been very much within our box through the years. Because when you say something like Jesus equals salvation, does that mean that baptism isn't important? Because many of you, as you were, were listening, you heard me say that if you have more faith in the mode of your baptism than in the person into whom you were baptized, then Paul would say that you have fallen from grace. And you ask, you said, well, does that mean that baptism is no longer important to our, to our box? Here at East Brainerd, we do not want to diminish the importance of baptism, nor do we want to raise it to a level that it was never intended to have. Also last week, as I was talking about the idea of Jesus plus what equals salvation, I also didn't mention anything about repentance. I didn't mention anything about confession. I didn't mention anything about even belief. But because baptism is something that is so important within our box, the thought of not putting baptism in that blank creates an uncomfortable feeling sometimes where we wonder and we say, well, if, if it doesn't go in the blank, then does it not have any type of importance? And yet when you read through Scripture, you see that the idea of belief and the idea of repentance and the idea of confession and 
the act of baptism are all connected to the idea of obedience of the disciple. In all those situations, or on all the occasions in Acts, you see that repentance is connected to the idea of salvation, and confession is connected to the idea of salvation, and belief is connected to the idea of salvation, and baptism is connected to the idea of salvation. But what do all of those things have in common? They all mean nothing without Jesus. Because Jesus equals salvation. And so, yes, we'll continue to call people to repent, to change the way in which they look at Jesus and consider him to be the sole source of salvation and nothing else that they can do in their life. And we'll continue to call people to confess that Jesus is the Christ. And we'll continue to call people to submit themselves to Christ and be buried in baptism, dying to themselves so that they might live to the life that God has called them to. But we do those things, not because any of them equals salvation, but because through Christ, salvation can be experienced. And you see on the screen that I have a passage from Titus chapter 3, where it says, when the, the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us not because of righteous things that we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us says, through the washing and rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through who? Jesus Christ, our Savior. And so we'll continue to call people to baptism. And we'll continue to rejoice and to celebrate as individuals make the decision to trust in Jesus as being the one and only Savior of the world. Something else that I want to bring up from this past slide that we showed. If you would, guys, go back to the one where, um, go back to the one where it says Church of Christ Theology and Practice. And I want you to look at this list again. And one of the things that we have on here is the idea of, of varying worship uh, formats. And I mentioned that uh, even though our worship doesn't necessarily vary that much, it really doesn't look all that different, especially compared to maybe a lot of other places. There are some things about our worship that, that, is, that is different and, and that changes. Maybe when you were growing up, the lights always stayed at the same place. And you notice today the lights kind of go up and the lights kind of come down. And maybe the songs that you sang were more hymns than, than praise. Or maybe where you were growing up, uh, whenever communion was passed, maybe it was more spent in times of silence. Maybe there was more scripture readings or less, or maybe there was more prayers or, or less. But within our worship, within our worship time that we spend together, these are moments where we try to, again, be able to reach to the multiple generations and the multiple cultures that are here. And one of the things that we do is try our best to make sure that we are able to uplift as many as possible. And as we do that, there are oftentimes those changes that begin to take place. And if it's not something that we are usually comfortable with, those changes, again, can sometimes rub us the wrong way. And the question is often asked, well, why make any kind of changes if the way that we've always done it was okay? And I've been thinking about the best way to demonstrate this. And the best way I know is to, I want to ask my son to come up here for a minute. And all I want Micah to do, just, just come up here. I just want you to stand up here for everybody. 
The reason that we have varying worship formats is because of this reason. There was a time within our church box that when it came to the idea of worship, as any person, whether they were a young man like my son or maybe even a little older, maybe they're just a young person in Christ, when they were a part of the churches of Christ, they were given a coat of worship. And they were told, this is the way in which we worship. You'll get used to it. (laughs) And you'll grow into it. It just takes time. And so we would ask him then to come to our assemblies week after week and and month after month and, and get used to or grow into the worship that we that we had and the things that we the things that we did. Now understand, let me have this back for just a minute. Thank you. This coat fit many of us really well, if I can get it back on. This coat fit many of us really well. And it kept us warm. And it provided all of the comfort that we needed. And we assume that because it fit us well, that naturally it must fit everybody else well. But as you saw, when I put it on Micah, it just didn't look right, did it? Something was, was off. And so you say, why do we have different worship styles? And for us, again, it's not really a different worship style. We do very little when it comes to changing in, the, in that regard. But you say, why do we sing some songs that we don't really know that well? Why do we sing some songs that we hear on the radio on like J103, but we don't sing some songs that we heard years ago? Well, it's because he can't wear my coat. And when he does wear my coat, it just doesn't look right necessarily on him. Now, understand something. If I were to try to wear his jacket, guess what would happen? It wouldn't fit, right? And I want you young people to understand something. That is the way a lot of our older members feel when they are trying to learn some of the newer songs that you guys already know. It's like a coat that just doesn't, it's just too tight on them. It doesn't feel right. Just as perhaps this coat doesn't feel right on him and and some of the worship styles of our past generations might not feel as comfortable to those of our younger generation, it goes both ways and it goes back and forth. And so here's what we try to do. We try to say, listen, Micah, you don't have to wear my coat. Isn't that good? Yeah. You don't don't have to wear my coat. You don't have to. I can can wear my coat and I can be happy because I like this coat and I want to wear this coat. But you don't have to wear this coat. I'm going to wear it. And I'm going to enjoy those times where we worship in ways that are very 
meaningful to me in ways that take me back to my, to my childhood. But I'm not going to expect you to either grow into or have to really enjoy necessarily this code. Now, if you're following me with this analogy, and maybe you're sitting there and you're one of our members that has been in the box for a long time, you say, well, well, am I not being forced to wear his coat every time that we do something that is out of the norm? Am I not being forced to do that? You are. And here's why. Because we are not willing to sacrifice my children or yours on the altar of our preferences. We're not willing to. We trust that in the maturity of our members here. We trust in the maturity of our members to understand, as we said earlier, that we have to grow young as we continue to grow larger. And that more and more people, as they begin to come in, especially those that come in never having been a part of our box in the past, are going to come in not having this coat and not understanding this coat at all. What would be the best thing to happen? Well, it's so we don't have to worry about jackets at all. And it's not about him wearing this or, or me wearing this. It's it's not about anything that takes place necessarily within this hour that gets us all concerned. Thanks, buddy. Have a seat. But I hope that's a way for you to be able to process and to look a little bit and to think about the reasons why we have varying worship formats and, and why things do sometimes look different and why sometimes things change. But as we understand and realize, you know what, things can change in our box, but our identity can remain the same because I am in Christ, then all of a sudden that, that anxious feeling that we have begins to subside. So let me wrap up with this. When it comes to us as a church and who we are right now, we're made up of very different types of people. And yet we are unified in the blood of Jesus Christ. We do not seek to have any type of uniformity where all of a sudden all of us have to look the same and, and walk the same and, and talk the same. That's not something that is sought in Scripture. But we do desire to have unity within Christ. And we desire to be able to be known by more than just our box. You see, we are only Christ's church to the extent that we resemble Christ. Do you understand that? We are Christ's church to the extent that we resemble Christ. A few weeks ago, I was having lunch with someone, and he said, Hey, I saw your church on television. This was during the time where there was the hurricane going on in Florida, and we had opened up our Family Life Center to be able to, to bring people in. He said, I saw your church on television. He said, I think that's a great thing that you're doing. And I said, oh, you think that's great. Let me talk to you about some other things. 
And it just started flowing out of me. And I started talking about our snack pack ministry and the the 5,000 bags that we were getting ready to pack. And I started talking about transformation ministry and how we were walking alongside those who had been given early release from prison. And I talked about our jail ministry. I talked about how that we had people carrying meals up to the ICU units. And I, I just started, it was just one after another of all of these things that so many people were involved in. And I said, hey, and did you hear about, we had two young girls a part of our children's ministry who decided to collect Bibles to send to hurricane victims. And it just kept just, it was just like, I just kept coming out and I couldn't stop. And I just went on and on and on. And you know, not one time, Did I tell them anything about what happens when I preach or when we gather in this building? It was all about things that were happening on the outside because I truly believe that we must model ourselves after a person and not a pattern. We must model ourselves after a person, not a pattern. And I don't just come up with this off the top of my head. In Acts chapter 5, those early disciples, the apostles of Jesus, were brought before the Sanhedrin and told that they should no longer speak in the name of Jesus. They were causing an uproar. And because of the uproar they were causing, they were put in prison. They finally ended up being released. And I want you to listen to what was said in Acts chapter 5. It says, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of of suffering disgrace for the name. Those, Those early apostles did not get thrown in prison because of a church's organization. And those early apostles, they did not end up giving their life because of a certain worship practice or style. Those early apostles did not suffer famine. They did not go through the disgrace. Those early followers of Christ did not end up losing what was most important to them because of the name on the wall. They did it because of the name. The name. The name of Jesus. The person of Jesus. And it was that person that motivated the life that they lived. So then Paul would write to the Christians and say in Colossians chapter 1, we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth, the good news. This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard it and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. Paul writes and he says, listen, church, I have heard about your faith and how that it is in Christ and not in yourselves, how it is in Christ and not in any kind of institution, how it is in Christ and not in any idol. I have heard of this faith and I've heard the love that you have for one another, for the way that you're caring for each other, for the concern that you have for each other, for the forgiveness that that love is bringing to people's lives. And he says, I've heard about that same good news that began changing your life and how it's changing other people's lives. Who are we? We're a church that's changing lives by sharing the love of Jesus and the good news of his saving grace.
face to face and heart to heart. Do we always do this well? No. We do not. But this is who we are. This is what we are about. And when you look and you wonder, why are we doing the things that we're doing? Why do we have these ministries? Why do we have these activities going on? Why, why, why are we going in this direction, so to speak? It's because we're changing lives by sharing the love of Jesus. That is what propels us. We want people to hear the good news of his saving grace. And we want this to be experienced face to face and heart to heart. That's who we are. And in order for us to be that, for, for, in order for us to accomplish this mission, we come together at times like this to encourage one another towards love and good deeds. Now, I know again this week there's a ton of stuff to process and to go through. And I encourage you to go back again and to listen to the things that were shared. And I encourage you again to uh, reach out to me via email or, or come by the office so that we can talk, so that we can share more about our church here. We want you to know that if you're not a part of our church family, we'd love to talk to you about being a part of it. We'd love for you to join us as we seek to share the good news of Jesus Christ. We'd love for you to partner with us in this endeavor, to be servants that are sent out from this place. But more important than you being a part of the East Springer Church of Christ is that you be a part of the body of Christ. And so that's why we do call you to consider the way that you're thinking about Jesus. Do you truly consider him to be Savior or not? Do you consider him to be Lord or not? That's why we ask you to be baptized to, to say, you know what? I'm not going to try to save myself. I'm not going to try to live for myself. And I'm going to show that in this beautiful way of enacting a burial and then coming up and receiving the promises of God. That's what we're concerned about. The relationship that you have with Jesus Christ. That's who we are. A sinful group of people. Saved by Jesus. Seeking to share his message. If you need to come this morning, whatever the reason might be, we encourage you to do so. As together we stand and sing.